Let's just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew 6, 24 to 34. It says there in Matthew six twenty-four, No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you they are not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. And all of us can say amen to that. <laughs> Each day enough trouble for its own. Let's just pray, come in prayer. Loving Father, we just want to bring these lives of ours before you. You know the stage that we're at, you know the things that we need to learn, and we just want to be in your presence again, Lord. We just want to know what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. To me, it means to be in tune with what your will is for each one of our lives. And, and forgive us, Lord, when we, we kind of wander off at times. Or we let you down. And sometimes, Lord, we just come in humble repentance because we just seem to fail you again and again. And, and yet you are an ever-loving God. And your love is everlasting. And we thank you that you welcome us home whenever we wander. And so we just pray today that we might find the warmth of that welcome in your loving arms. And forgive us, Lord, for the times that we let you down. Just uh, look into our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in these hearts of ours. Search us. Try us. And help us, Lord, to be in tune with your loving will. And we ask you, Lord, to cleanse us afresh through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to be able to minister into every need represented here today. We ask these things in praying, God, for those who are ill at the moment, those who are suffering, those who are bereaved. We just comfort them and strengthen them. We just want you to reach out for them as well. And those who are in the mission field abroad, we thank you for folks like Frank and the work done in Ghana, for others who are with MAF and others who are abroad for you. Help us not to forget them, Lord. 
but to have a, a worldwide vision as the Church of Christ. So we just pray for those who are seeking to serve you, whatever their needs might be. Help us to learn of them and to pray intelligently into them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now those of you who have been coming through with this uh, series on the sore, if you turn to Matthew 13, you'll see there where we are. And those of you who were here last week will remember that we were talking about uh, the shallow soil. As you were there on Wednesday night, we were going over the last two weeks as well, the shallow soil. And we said that this soil was deceptively shallow. And that means you can't see the shelf of rock underneath. It looks very promising. And of course we said before that the sower is so generous with the seed. That nobody can ever say the sower, the seed has never been sown in this hard area or the shallow area. Every area is given the opportunity to receive the seed. And we also just mentioned there, this is the impulsive heart, the shallow ground. This is something that comes up very quickly. And I want the comfort there for us. And the word of comfort is simply this, that this growing in the Christian faith is not fast. There's a process here. In fact, on Wednesday night we spoke about the process of what the Bible calls sanctification. That sanctification, this being set apart from the world to be set to the work of God, the holiness of God, is a work in progress. And the only place in the, the story of the parables where things happen quickly is fruitless. It doesn't produce a harvest. And so it's comforting to know that when you feel that you're not growing as fast as you would like to grow and you've got 101 questions unanswered as yet, it's just good to know that... Uh, that's how it comes through in the parable of the sower, that there's time being given. And what we said, of course, last week, there were two things about faith that we need to really catch on to. And one is we need to be rooted deeper in our faith. And we mentioned, of course, Ephesians three seventeen to 19. But the, the Living Bible puts it so well. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. That's a, a lovely translation. That's a new living translation you've got there from the, in the church here. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, about a rising faith. The, the, roots, the roots go down and the harvest comes up. A rising faith. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, continue to live in him, rooted and built up, it says. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so we are really planted in his love and we're living in his life. And we're wanting to see this tremendous growth happening in our lives. Then we come to the third part of the parable. And you'll see it there in Matthew chapter 13. And let me just mention the actual verses there. Verse 7 and verse 22. But verse 7, first of all, says to us there, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. It fell among the thorns, which grew up, grew up and choked the plants. And you may remember, and maybe you'll never know or know, but anyway, it was kind of semi-desert in some places in Palestine. And they were said that there were at least 200 
types of weeds. I think we have some of them over here. <laughs> in our garden, you know, our rose and I told you last week, our rose and wanting to, to give up gardening, you know. And she says, Mum, the place is overladen with weeds. And that's true about any garden. If you just leave it alone, the weeds just seem to spring up. But seemingly there, there were 200 species of undesirable weeds that invaded cultible, uh, cultivated land to compete with the crops. And that's the trouble with this competition. The hardier plant has the mastery. That's what happens. And what you find is that the, that the thorn bushes and the thorn ground is okay as a protection for the corn, as a bush, but not good as an inmate in the soil coming upside the corn. And it's interesting, you know, that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount asked the point blank question Do you people pick grapes on thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the answer is no. You're not going to get the harvest if this, this hardier plant is growing beside the corn, which is not as hardy as the thistles are, of course. Thorns are a good guard to the corn. But they're a bad inmate. <laughs> they're a bad inmate when they're in the field. And what's interesting in the story of this, I hadn't had quite noticed this myself, but Jesus says the thorns grew up and choked it. Giving the impression that there wasn't a lot to see about this other kind of soil that we've got, this thorny soil. You couldn't actually see a lot of it to begin with. This was something that developed over a period of time. This is the preoccupied soil, we call this one. The first one was the unproductive, the second one was the impulsive. This is the preoccupied soil. And it doesn't give you the impression at the beginning that it's terribly preoccupied. Just a wee bit of a thorn coming up through, perhaps a, a wee bit of a weed. And Jesus says, the thorns grew up and choked it. It's as if the, the seed's going in, you almost can't see the weeds at the beginning, and they're in, and this soil has not been prepared, it's preoccupied with other things, and because that's true, the hardier plant is going to have the mastery in that soil. The thorns grew up, said Jesus. They weren't a field of great big thorns and the seed put in, but the seeds put in and just a wee bit popping up here and there of preoccupied soil. And that's a real lesson for us in our own lives. Sometimes it's just a, a little preoccupation with something else. Just a little thing at the beginning of the time. And so the Lord is making the point here that some lives are just like that. The seed that is sown enters our already preoccupied life. And perhaps nothing much to be seen at the beginning, but it grows up and it chokes the plant. It chokes the seed. And it makes us ask rather important questions. Questions like, what is growing in the ground of my life? What else is growing there that shouldn't be there? Or put another way, what occupies most of my time and my attention? What has become the chief production in the overall performance of my life? What am I producing out of my life? What's the net result of my living? Is it worthless weeds? 
Or is it the fine fruit of eternal value? What is going on in my life? Barclay talks about, I went to look this up, but Barclay talks in his commentary about the part, this part of the parable as another kind of parable of First Kings chapter 20 where the prophet disguised himself as he spoke to Ahab and he told Ahab, I'm sure to teach Ahab a lesson, that during a battle he had been left in charge of a prisoner. He was told that if the prisoner escaped, his own life would be taken. But he allowed his attention to be distracted and the prisoner escaped and his excuse is found in 1 Kings 20 and verse 40. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And Willie Barclay makes the point. That's what's happening in people's lives. While your servant was busy here and there, distracted, preoccupied with other things. And while that was happening, said the prophet to Ahab, the prisoner that should have been kept had gone. A big lesson from back there. So what do we need to ask when there's growing and seeking the mastery in the ground of our life? Is the soil clean or is it preoccupied? Well, turn with me to Matthew 13, 22, because that's where Jesus gives the interpretation of the parable. So in 22 it says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. Now it's good to add in here uh, Mark's account of the same parable. Because in Mark's Gospel chapter 4, there are three things that choke the seed. There's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and Mark adds in Mark's Gospel chapter 4 that the desire for other things. The desire for material things. Let's look at each of these in turn. The first one then, the worries of the cares of this life. Somebody may ask, I'm sure you'll ask the question yourself, as a Christian... Are we supposed to never have any worries or concerns or cares? I think you know the answer to that. We do get concerned. We do care about our family and sometimes they, we get worried about them. Last night I was waiting on and coming home. My, my daughter, the unmarried one. Really pray the Lord that she gets married. <laughs> and she's convinced she's not going to get married and so she, she has this lovely cat that she's had for oh she's, she adores this cat it got killed yesterday and she was away away with the young folks from Stirling Baptist Church and oh she was in tears on the phone last night I said to her, when mommy gets home when mom gets home she'll have a talk to you and I he's later and later and later <laughs> I said where have you been where have you been your daughter's in great distress <laughs> and there's all these worries and cares that come up but thankfully she's got a wee dog now she got a dog a wee pup a, year, a week ago and I'm so glad but that was the Lord's timing wasn't it that was just the Lord's provision for her and there's all these cares and worries and concerns that, that come upon family members and they sort of, sort of rub off on you as well. And that's true about the Christian life. It's not trouble free. And the Bible tells us what befalls the righteous. It tells us in Psalm 34 and verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but it also says, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The Lord is a, a wonderful deliverer. He takes us through. And we have to trust him in that. 
Also John 16.33 Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So life isn't trouble free. Life does make definite demands upon us and if we're going to live balanced lives and fruitful lives we need to meet the responsibilities that God has placed upon each one of us in our family life, our home life, our workaday life. But how do we avoid the two extremes? The one extreme is, you know what I mean when I say asceticism? Asceticism is really saying, stop the world, I want to get off. The ascetics were these middle-aged Christian monks who went away into the desert. No, they did did other stupid things in those days. They built these great big towers and they climbed up the towers and they sat on top of the towers and that was supposed to be more spiritual. And they tried to get away from the world. And the other extreme, of course, is not asceticism where you try and get away from the world. The other one is where you say, well, I'm so troubled and I'm so worried, I'm so concerned, I'm just going to let go and you end up dabbling in things in the world to try and put your mind off it. and that's no answer either and the Bible wants to have a, a balanced walk in our Christian life and what the Bible tells us that Jesus knows in the Sermon on the Mount that we just read he assures our questioning hearts that our Father really does know the needs and demands laid upon our lives he knows we require food and shelter and drink and clothing and since he provides adequate for the birds how much more is he going to provide for you he can do it for you he can provide for you and just as the lilies are clothed in a better way than even Solomon was clothed and yet they don't even worry or care God can do it you see the problem is not so much with the cares of the world but with the preoccupation with them the problem is not so much with the cares of the world but the preoccupation with them do we really believe our heavenly father can meet the need is the focus of attention on earning my living by the sweat of my life of my works or by my trustworthiness in father God do I trust God that he can do it for us now of course this is all too easy to say especially when you're not having tremendous difficulty making ends meet or when you're not a single parent a widow or a family or your cat has just died who have clearly got themselves into difficulties some people get themselves into difficulties and it's hard, it's easy to say these things when you're not in that kind of difficulty but the Lord is our provider Jehovah Jireh, my provider I don't read here that Jesus' words only apply to the normal cares of daily living. Jesus says, take no anxious thought about tomorrow. Jesus does not say, don't think about tomorrow. He doesn't say that. What he actually means in the Sermon on the Mount is, take no anxious thought about tomorrow. To be caught up in the cares of this world means forgetting it must be it's one day at a time. That's what Jesus teaches us. He teaches us one day at a time. Listen to this quote. Beloved, we can't afford to drag the distress of yesterday or tomorrow into today. We can't to bore to borrow sorrow from tomorrow. <laughs> we bit of poetry there, isn't it? <laughs> 
Let me just go over that again. We can't afford to drive the distress of yesterday or tomorrow into today. We can't afford to borrow sorrow from tomorrow. What's all that meaning? One day at a time, sweet Jesus. One day at a time. We're not going to start being over anxious about tomorrow. And here in this parable it's talking about those who are so caught up in the worries and the cares of life that these worries and cares just grow up along beside the seed and choke it. They really choke it. There's not going to be the fruitfulness of our Christian experience if we're going to be caught up in the worries and the cares of this life. The Bible said this is the day the Lord has given and let's rejoice and give him be glad in it this is living above the clutter and the complications of a complex society which crowd out the fruitfulness of God isn't that true? living in the complex society that crowds out the fruitfulness of God and Jesus is really saying as you've got today somebody, I read, I read somewhere just recently there are only two days you need to concern about that's today and the day when Christ comes again the day that the Lord has given us be glad and rejoice in it but there's a day coming the day, capital D when Christ will return these are the only two days that really matter at the end of the day the second thing that chokes the seed is the deceitfulness of wealth now you'll be glad to know that wealth in its sin and of itself is not wrong it's not wrong to be wealthy the difficulty lies, of course, in their attitude to wealth. It's the deceit of it that causes the problem. The deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of wealth. Because you see, riches have the capacity to distort our thinking. Riches may blind us to eternal values, or riches have the ability to dominate our desires. Riches have a subtle way of suggesting to us that they themselves can provide security and serenity. And we know from reading the newspapers and the magazines of some of these very, very rich people, it's just not true. When I'm standing at the cooperative up in Middlesbrough to get my paper in the morning, I'm looking at the two checkouts. And then between the two checkouts, there's the OK magazine or some other magazine, I can't remember what the name of it is. And right on the front cover are all these celebrities. And I look to see how they're getting on. I don't, I don't buy the paper, the magazine. <laughs> I've enough to read. And I see the heartache. And it's almost in the front page. And they're rolling money. They're rolling money. And they're not happy. And their fellow, or maybe their husband, or has taken off with somebody else, and they've had a baby to somebody. Ah, I said, Lord, deliver us from all that. You've all heard of wealthy people who, if they are preoccupied with losing it, they're preoccupied with gaining it. So even if you haven't got it, there are people who are preoccupied with desiring wealth. And being a millionaire is not enough for some people. They want to be multi-millionaires. Now you may be saying to me, okay, Alec, I'm a million pounds away from what you're talking about. We haven't got that kind of wealth. And that's true. That may be true in financial terms, but in reality, those who haven't got much 
as much as others, also need to heed the warning of the deceitfulness of riches. Because sometimes, even when we haven't got it, it can preoccupy our minds in such a way that they're not really trusting God. Like yourselves, Aaron and I have come through some really rough times financially. The, the Baptist ministry was not terribly well paid when we started off. I think it, it's hard to compare. When we started off, it was 600 odd pounds a year. But that's a way back in the 1970s. But it wasn't much. And we had four kids. And we were amazed at the way the Lord provided. Wonderfully provided. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, when we were leaving Dunoon, we were going to Peebles. And uh, we had to get a manse. There was no house for us to go to. And the church says to us, well, we've got so much money. I think it was about 50 odd thousand pounds. So go and find a house for that amount of money. Well, the house that they guided us to, we didn't want it. It was mid-terrace, nothing worse than a mid-terrace house for a manse. Because you want to have a keyboard and you like to have the odd meeting in the house. And you're right between two houses. And I mean, this turned around and said to them, it's no use. The walls are paper thin. That's not what we want for a manse. Well, we went back home to Dunoon and at this time we were looking for... We hadn't quite finished in Dunoon yet. And, and this couple came. They weren't members of the church, but their daughter was a member of the church. And they said to us, Alec, Eileen, we'd like to speak to you. Could we come up and see you this Sunday afternoon? And the way up, they came up to the manse and said, they said, just feel that the, the Lord wants us to give you something. We want to write a cheque for £10,000. <laughs> Can you imagine going to a church, a new church, and saying, well, here I am, your new minister, and I've got extra 10000 to add to the cost that you had for a house. Is that not amazing? How God provided. We weren't looking for it. We were quite happy to go and keep looking at all the houses at 50 odd thousand pounds. But there wasn't a lot that we could do. But this 10,000 pounds brought the cost up. And we got a lovely house. A good house for a man. So they still have it as a man as well. And that's what the God, God provides. If you trust the Lord with your finances, your riches, or lack of them, I believe God can meet every day. I've proved it again and again. And there have been times when there have been nothing much in the cupboard. And, and Eileen's just a resourceful person. She can make things out of nothing. We're really, like the creator. <laughs> How God creates things out of nothing. <laughs> she can do that as well. <laughs> and and we, we always got by. We tell the children that when they have these financial concerns, well, do you budget? Do you budget? We had to budget. Do you budget? And we give them a wee talk to some time to time. And but Jesus says, you're not here just to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I've just found that as we give, the Lord blesses us in return. He doesn't, if you give £10, the Lord doesn't say, well, I'm going to give you 100 It doesn't work like that. As you have that desire to give, the Lord has a great desire to bless us. And he blesses us in different ways. The most wonderful commentary on this, getting the riches right, the seat so well, is Proverbs. If you've got a Bible with you, look at Proverbs 38 and verses 8 and 9. And if ever you want to underline verses of the Bible, this is a passage to underline. 
It's a wonderful passage of scripture. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 and 9. It's a prayer. It's the most wonderful prayer you'll ever pray. pray. And you should have it up on your wall. I shouldn't be printed out sometime in a sheet. I can do that on nice glossy paper and make it really nice for you. It says this. It's Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 and 9. Never forget these two verses as long as you live. It's a wonderful prayer. It says this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. Neither give me poverty or riches, just give me only my daily bread. Give me all my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much and disown my Lord. And say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal. And so dishonour the name of the Lord. Is that not a wonderful two verses of scripture? What a commentary against those who are into the deceitfulness of wealth and riches. Lord, just, just give me enough. Just give me enough for my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus taught us to pray. For every child of God, there's only one way to go in this area. And that is to recognise that any riches that come to us are a trust from Lord. He is the owner, remember, we are the steward. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we have the tremendous privilege of managing what the Lord has given to us. Oh, let me tell you a story. I'm always telling you so now. This is a story about a minister friend of mine and he said to me, Alec, there's a woman from the States. You really ought to have her preaching at your church. Well, our church wouldn't have her preaching anyway. This was in, uh, in Buckhaven when I was there many years ago. They wouldn't have had her preaching. So I said, I'll arrange a special meeting and we'll have this lady from the States preaching. So I arranged this special meeting and invited folk from different churches to come to this special meeting. And so she, she got up and she spoke. Halfway through her talk, she told us about her speaking in America. And while she was speaking in America, she opened up her bag, her handbag. What do they call me? A purse in America. And she says, uh, I just felt the Lord asking me to take this perfume out of my bag. And, and I walked up the aisle of the church and I gave it to this lady. I don't think the lady was smelling. I don't, I don't really know <laughs> if she was smelling or not. But this lady seemingly had never received perfume like this. Never received anything like this. And she was just in tears and, and so over the moon. And she was telling us about this opening up the handbag. And she said, you know this, she says, I feel I want to do it tonight. And perhaps it's not perfume, but you may want to be given some money to somebody. I hadn't taken the offering up yet to pay for this woman coming to the, to the service. And maybe you want to open your bag and, and give some money. And, and if you don't want to do that, she said, maybe just give somebody a scripture. Well, I gave somebody a scripture. I wasn't wanting to give away the money because the offering was coming up for this woman from the States. <laughs> but you know, we, we did that. We just, halfway through our address, we, we stopped. And I don't know if folk looked in their handbags or not, but I went up to some people and just gave them a, a word of encouragement or a scripture and what have you. And we managed to get the offering in after she had finished speaking. But one of the brothers, one of the, the brothers from the Baptist church that I was in, he says to me, Pastor, he says, 
after that meeting tonight, I feel I want to give £200 to young Donna. Now he didn't know that young Donna, she would be about 13, 14 years of age. Our mother was there, single parents, Christians. He did not know that Donna was unable to go to the SU camp because she didn't have the money. And I said, I said to this dear brother, I said, brother, that is from the Lord. You give that £200 to Donna because unknown to you until this time, she needs it. She needs it. And because that money came to that girl, she was able to go to the SU camp. Isn't that amazing? how God works isn't it amazing how God works that's always stuck with me and the truth of the Bible is if you are faithful in small things the Bible says I'll give you greater things I'll give you greater and that's a, a lesson not to get caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth and of riches the Lord will provide it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow Okay, the worries and cares of the world and deceitfulness of wealth. And then we come to Mark chapter 4, this additional one that's not mentioned in Matthew chapter 13. The desire for other things. One writer has called it the magnetism of materialism. The magnetism of materialism. What is true of wealth is also true of material things. Isn't it amazing the things that we stack into our houses? It's not until you move you realise how much stuff you've got. And then when you go on holiday, I say, Eileen, we're only going for a week. <laughs> and the case is packed full, you know. We haven't got, okay, we haven't got as much stuff as we have. Every time we move, we always got rid of some stuff, you know. But I'm thinking about my grandchildren and when it comes to Christmas, I say, Eileen, we don't know what they need. They seem to have everything. And Eileen's got to the stage of it's, it's clothes. Now the kids don't get excited about money for clothes, you know, for a new pair of trousers or something like that. There's no great excitement there. But we know that's probably what they need. And this magnetism of material things and adding to all the things that we have. And every day we're confronted with 101 things that we definitely need. The adverts that we might watch, the, the things that we see in the wee booklets that come through the post. And when we think of the colossal debt problem in the consumer market, we can see how many have not listened to the teaching of Jesus. He said in Luke 12 and verse 15, he said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And what does Jesus say? That life does not consist on the abundance of the things that we possess. Be on your guard against greed, against this covetousness. I need to have what she's got. I need what he's got. <coughs> Can we really be fruitful and productive for God, occupied with these pressures of the harvest? Can we really be productive? We need to ask this question What is my heart? Is it in things? Or in Christ? Where are my affections? Are they in possessions? Or as Colossians say, the things that are from above? 
Where are my priorities? Is it in covetousness? Getting what other people have? Or cooperation with the Spirit of God? To what does our soul respond? To what does it respond? The clamour of the contemporary world or the call of Jesus Christ? What does your soul respond to? The clamour of the contemporary world or the call of Christ? Folks, he made us for himself. Forgive the, all the S's in the next statement, but it says this. He alone has the secret of serenity, strength, stability in a shaky society. <laughs> Let me go with that again. He alone has the secret of serenity, strength and stability in a shaky society. Folks, allow him to dig up the weeds. Don't allow the soil to be distracted and preoccupied. Because the hardier plant with thorns will have the mastery and choke the seed. Three kinds of seeds are ground so far rather. The unresponsive heart, the hard ground. The impulsive heart, things happen quickly and shrivel up just as quickly. And the preoccupied heart. Just a, a wee shoot of thorn from time to time. But Jesus say the thorns grew up and choked it. Don't let that happen in your life. Don't let these, the worries and cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, choke the fruitfulness that God wants to come forth from your life and mine. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for all the things you've been teaching us. And there are things here that we need to learn. They're just perhaps the wee shoots coming up through, Father, that they could develop into something hardier and demanding the nourishment of the soil and depriving the seed of that nourishment. And we just pray, Lord, today for clean soil, for not something that's preoccupied and distracted from the things that you've been teaching us, Help us to deal with these worries and concerns. To bring them at your feet. To just realise that you really care for each one of us. Help us to deal with the deceitfulness of wealth. And to think that if we only had more and more money that every problem would be solved. Lord, will you help us in that area? And help us, Lord, with this desire for material things. To multiply all the things that we've got already. And Lord, at the end of the day, there's stuff that we bring in that we don't really need. There are folks today, Lord, will you help them? You look at catalogues and they're ordering stuff that they don't really need. Lord, will you help us? Help us to use our money wisely. Help us to budget. Help us to, to know how to use the resources you've given to us. You're the owner, Lord. We are the stewards. Make us good managers of the things that you have given us to possess. And we thank you again for your wonderful word. Teach us from it. Help us to grow through it to fruitfulness in our Christian lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.